Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Uh, Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with, with me. You can all read all of our stuff at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan. It has been a while since we did a podcast. A lot has happened. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of recruiting. People want to know about the 2019 class, things like that. Uh, we are going to table that because we have so much to talk about. We might do some recruiting next week. We might just, uh, you know, do like as far as the, the 2019 recruits, you might just do a signing day or signing week special. Uh, stay tuned for that. We will talk a little bit about recruiting because there were a couple coaches that departed. But but first, we got to talk about Michigan football. 41-15 loss to number 10 Florida in the Peach Bowl. And and Michigan ended up uh, going 10-3. and They ended up ranked 14th. So by those two metrics, this was the third best season out of four under Harbaugh, when at times we were talking about this team being the best. So absolutely, uh, you know, if you, if you factor in the players skipping, the loss to Ohio State, you know, the loss to Florida, the way they lost those games, really hard not to call this a, a worst-case scenario finish for the Wolverines. Uh, for those wondering, we will talk a lot about Michigan basketball, which is having a best-case scenario season. That will be at the back half of this of this show. But for now, for talking football, 41-15 loss, you know, I, I some people want to, I don't think very many people are interested in picking picking apart the minutia of the game, you know, the the 14 pass attempts in the first three quarters, sure, you know, especially when you don't have Kron Higdon, the, the offensive line struggling at times, uh, sure, but, but the bottom line was this was the third, second bowl game in a row, they didn't seem like they were ready to win the football game. And third third bowl loss in a row, third year in a row, they've lost two games in a row to end the season. So, Steve, I'm curious. We are about 10 days, 11 days removed from that loss. What is still sticking out to you related to that game? Obviously, it's been about seven weeks of this, you know, um, I won't say things are falling apart, but things are going the opposite of what Michigan was hoping it would go. But but regarding the Peach Bowl, uh, your final thoughts on the game or, th- or things that are still sticking out to you at this point? Um, I think Ohio State beat Michigan twice. Hmm. I I I, only, I did I made one media appearance before the game. I didn't even I don't even think I publicized it. I did like just a short podcast with a Florida guy who never told me his name and uh it was, <laughs> it was yeah no i can't it's like gators breakdown podcast okay. yeah, yeah yeah nice guy i i still don't know his name uh or anything else about him uh i agreed to go on the, on this podcast i was it was about a 20 minute thing uh, i picked florida to win uh i was right i suspected and it was about it wasn't as i sus- suspected uh, the game ends up being more lopsided obviously mm-hmm. than i thought it would be uh, but I also thought that Michigan was pro- absolutely prime for a letdown uh, when uh, with the guys that were sitting out, uh, with the way they got beat by Ohio State. You know, you go from being favored in the horseshoe and likely in the playoffs, as we assume they probably would have beaten Northwestern in a rematch, mm-hmm. to, you know, the Peach Bowl and playing Florida for the third time in four years. <laughs> You know, and and uh, Rashawn Gary jetting like less than forty eight hours after uh, the clock at zero against Ohio State. You know, and and I I just think you know both coordinators interviewing for head coaching jobs. Yeah, uh, it just seemed like 
there were a, so many things going against Michigan uh, heading into this game that the result as far as win versus loss was not really a surprise to me at all. It's the same reason I picked Texas to beat Georgia. Uh, you know, when you have all of your goals in front of you and then they get smashed the way that they did for both of those programs, I think it's really, really hard to get back up and, uh, you know, and, and put it together for 60 minutes. Whereas Florida under Dan Mullen, really kind of in a similar situation to where Michigan was under Harbaugh in his first year uh, when they, when they beat the snot out of Florida in the Citrus Bowl with Jake Rudock. Yeah, they were just on you know, house money. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and an opportunity, you know, for a first-year coach, opportunity for uh, to take, like, what you would consider a step forward perception-wise, you know, by being a top-ten opponent in a bowl game. So uh, I'm big, you know, the, the more you watch bowls, the more you see – I'm just a big believer that, like, the context of where the team's season is lying – heading into said game is uh you know gonna is a big role in in how the game could potentially play out mm-hmm. you know and uh well think about Michigan they're they're what two and nine in the last 11 bowl games and their only wins have come in Brady Hoke and Jim Harbaugh's first years when they can make a statement when it's exact, like everything's I mean, fresh and new and exciting right so Again, the minutia, yeah, you know, the clock management at the end of the first half was bad and uh, more missed assignments defensively, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I again, I go, like I said, you got four of your best players out of the, out of the lineup, both coordinators interviewing for their jobs, you know, and, and just everything that you were playing for is now it's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it was they were prime for a defeat in that game. Uh, the only thing, that, again, that was surprising to me was, uh, just the end result as far as like the score and the difference in score between the two teams. But yeah. I'm not one bit surprised at all that Florida won that game. Yeah, I think I actually ended up predicting Florida to win too. I, I remember I went on uh, Inside the Huddle on WTK the day before the game, and I said, you know, I think Michigan's the better team, but I don't think if things don't go exactly according to plan, I don't think they have whatever, call it a, whatever metaphor you want to use, the the second punch, the second gear, they, I just, it's hard to envision them having that. Whereas Florida, I mean, you could just tell in the interviews, talking to, you know, being down there in Atlanta covering this. I mean, Michigan, the players who were there were obviously happy to be there. They they talked about the eleventh win, but it always felt a little, a little different. It was like, well, of course we would like to be in the playoff, but now we can go and get that eleventh win, and it's like, well, right, you exactly. know, that's not what you say when you're actually the excited to be here. <laughs> much more important than the yeah, the first sentence much more telling than the second sentence and, in that scenario. And I know. hadn't even thought about the coordinators interviewing for other jobs because you're right, that is something you know a team locked in. They don't right. do that until the end of the season, you right. know. And I'm not that's not a dig at Pep Hamilton or Don Brown. It's just you know you look through history. Uh, I think back to when DJ Durkin interviewed with Maryland and he said he, you know, he was totally all in for Michigan and it sure didn't look like that when they played Ohio state and gave up 42 points. So I'd I'd say this also, as far as that goes, since it's so far removed now, I could tell you for a fact that there are former players who still, uh, yep. Never happy with DJ Durkin after, after how that all went down. Cause I think they felt like they weren't, uh, as prepared as they should have been uh, for that game, you know, and so 
Yes. Uh, I, and again, so, yeah. and you, you could even, you know, if we're going to talk, like what about Alabama's offense laying a total egg against uh, Clemson the other night, you know, with Loxley one mm, foot out the door that's, to that's Maryland. True. You know, it's like, it's just you, sometimes like that type of stuff. Again, and I'm not, who knows, you know, Bama's so uber talented anyway. I, and, and Clemson just played. I think Clemson game, was just had everything right. Hit every right, button, right? You know, yeah. But it's it's like you also you just you don't know, and so uh, so yeah. I mean, that's really my overarching thought as far as that game goes. Is that I thought Michigan was going to lose. They lost worse than I thought they would, though. And uh, I just think that the way they got beat by Ohio State was uh, completely deflating, especially for the defense. And uh, you know, and I just don't think they were able to get back up and. Uh, you know, and to, to get back up and put it together for 60 more minutes against a motivated, hungry Florida team that's looking to kind of reverse course from and a good team too. McElwain. You know, it's yeah, no, it's I, really well managed. I thought their offense did a lot of really smart moves, and obviously, it's easier to be smart when when Michigan is down. Rashawn Gary, Devin Bush, um, uh, who else was out? Quiddy Pay, Devin Gill. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had long out for, for certain spells. I mean, Chase Winovich, you know, mentioned after the game, he's like, at times I was looking around and I didn't, Aubrey Solomon was out. To, I mean, you know, that I don't know how much he would have played anyways, but I don't know what his health was. But, you know, he was looking around and seeing like six new starters. And he himself, you know, he put off surgery. I, I'm not going to sit here and I have no idea, you know, how, uh, you know, serious that that was or whatever but you know it was one of those things where it's like you look around and it's like maybe you're down 10 or 12 it can feel so much worse if you are missing your guys that you lean on or that you depend on three Michigan was missing three first team all big 10 players it's one thing to have four players skip the bowl game but you don't get that many first team all big 10 players and they were missing three of them so you know I think the line played their worst game since Notre Dame didn't play yeah Yeah. because they didn't play Horrible against Ohio State, but they didn't play great. They played worse against Florida than they did against Ohio State, though, no doubt about it. So, yeah, yeah, and um, I, I don't think that opens up the the can of worms. Like, oh, is the offensive line? I don't think I'm ready to call it a liability heading toward next season. But it was like one of those things, you know, especially, especially in passing downs. It seemed like right. there was just some some mistakes that they were not making earlier on in the year. So. And some of that's I'm what Florida just, did, but right, right. I'm just, I'm convinced. It, it, again, I, I this, my reaction is that I'm gonna just stick with how I viewed this game from the beginning. Uh, I don't think it's like indicative of a fall off or anything like that. It's what I thought they were gonna get beat, and I figured it would they would not be able to get back up and for this game, and they didn't. You know, and I. It, I think they walked into Columbus, and I think they thought they were going to beat Ohio State. I think and, they and, and, really and, did, yeah. And Yeah, and they got smacked in the mouth. They got embarrassed. And uh, I think it I think it prevented them from, you know, whether they had gotten blown out in Columbus or if they had made it, if it had been a close game. I think if they were going to lose that game, I, I just don't know if they'd been able to get back up for the bowl game regardless. Yeah. Well, I mean, Unless Chase they, even said he called it a, a deflating Lost. He called it a 180, a complete 180 from where things were before yep, the game. Exactly. Yeah. And it's hard to ask those guys to 
think of the fan like think about how tepid the interest was from the fan base i mean is it that <laughs> stuff like you know that's granted, true. It was, a lot of it's because it was florida again florida yeah the third time in four years but still it's like to think that that's only a fan thing and that these players who work all year towards playing potentially playing for a national championship and we're so close uh you know to to get that far and to fall short you know it's just really hard to Absolutely. You know, strap them on and, and knowing that uh, some of your teammates aren't going to be in the game with you, which again is I'm, I'm fine with them not wanting to play. That's not what I'm getting at here. Just, uh, just, but knowing that you're not at full strength, you know, just, it feels more and more like an exhibition, you know, it so, did. Yeah. Um, so I have really, a question. Yeah. Cause, cause you mentioned, I mean, the fans, I remember when we did the, um, I did the story about Michigan and the peach bowl and, like the first seven comments were like, seriously, or this sucks, or again, when it's like one of only four top 10 matchups in all of the bowl, you know, series uh, this year. And it's like, you know, if they win, they might be looking at a top five team based on how the, how the polls shook out a little bit. Uh, But anyway, I'm curious, you know, with the, with it not seeming like they had enough, how much, how much of that is, understandable given the circumstance and how much of that is Michigan might need to look into the mirror about maybe coaching or how it, how it approaches things or the culture it has. Uh, cause, cause that's the big question now, right? Is like, like not, not obviously the offensive, uh, what they're going to do with this offense is the biggest question, but I'm curious, like, I mean, there have been teams that kind of backed into bowl games and still won. And I do think there were times in that game where if certain things had gone differently or been prepared differently, maybe they still win. So how much of that is, I mean, you know, we've talked about it as some is understandable, but it was also, uh, I believe, the third worst loss of Jim Harbaugh's tenure. You know, it's a, it's a third year in a, or four, I guess however many years in a row that they've had three losses or more in a season. You know, there was still stuff on the line, and it and it kind of fell apart in the worst way possible. So I'm curious, you know, there's some that's understandable. How much of it do you put, maybe not blame, but fault, or this this should have or could have been done differently? How much do you look at it in that respect? Um, so I think that what the challenge for say like a guy like Harbaugh, who's like undoubtedly like a big culture guy, mm-hmm. as far as in the locker room, again every football high school or uh, sorry well high school college whatever every football program is trying to establish like some kind of culture and identity mm-hmm. uh, I think I think Michigan and under Harbaugh I think the biggest thing is there's gonna have to be some kind of adaptation in the balance between you know because there's no doubt that and this is the this is the one thing about guys sitting out, I guess, where I can see the other side of the argument is that it really, really hurts your opportunity, your uh, your attempt or your effort to try to build a culture uh, mm, okay. within the locker room, you know, because if you know it basically, and again, I, it also goes back to the simple argument that all these bowl games are relatively worthless at the end of the day unless you make the playoffs, because you know now seeing Higdon and Bush and, and Gary and, and Bushel Beatty, you see these guys sit out uh, 
unless Michigan makes the playoffs, I think you're going to see this every year with any yes. guy that has any chance to get drafted for them. And, and or has any injury what, history during the season. R- yeah. Right. And what, where, and where it hurts and where I think the, it's, it's probably frustrating to the coaching staff is like, it's this balance between the pressure to win, you know, the public perception of 11 and two versus 10 and three would lend credence to the idea that the bulls do play some kind of value Although, again, you go back, they got schlacked by South Carolina in the second half last year. That obviously had zero impact on what happened this year on the field, right? I mean, that meant nothing. Um, just like I don't think what happened against Florida is going to mean jack as far mm-hmm. as, like, the 2019 season. Um, but but it does uh, – there's that balance between, you know, you want to produce pros. Uh, that's how you get elite guys. Right, they want the NFL to be a close a close friend to the program. Right. Um, But it also, but you're potentially stunting the culture in your locker room, you know, when you have guys that are sitting out at such a high, you know, because I think Michigan had the most, if I remember correctly. Yes. My understanding is they led the nation. I don't know how many of LSU's sit outs were designed or suspension or injury or whatever. Right. Um, You know, so I think that's, that's kind of the battle, you know, because I, I mean, I'd be, I mean, if you're a if you're a, a college football coach, if you're Jim Harbaugh, you want you would hope you would want you're not going to push or you're not going to force because the perception would be horrible if you tried forcing one of your guys to play and he still decided he didn't and ever came out and said they fo- wanted me to play. They were trying to force me to play. I mm-hmm. said no. But you know that if you're Jim Harbaugh, you would want more guys like Chase Winovich and Jake Butt. Uh, you know. Mohurst, yeah, in a in a perfect world, right? And again, that's I have no problem with these guys sitting out. I'm speaking from the coach's standpoint when the cries every week or every year about how much money these guys make, which they do, they make a ton of money, uh, you know, and that maybe the results aren't where they should be. That there should be, it just may. I just think it puts the coaches in a tough spot, uh, you know, because it's not going to be easy to win any game when you have four of your, I mean, it's debatable where Bushel Beatty is on the importance level, but let's say three of your five best players, period, uh, mm-hmm. not playing in any given game, right? So, um, Let alone against I, a top 10 team. You right. Know, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that's where the, I, I guess that's, that's uh, kind of the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's just a really compli- it's, it's a really complicated issue. Uh, the easy answer is we'll just make the playoffs. Uh, but but again, it's it's not only four teams each year get in, right? It's not that easy. So, you know, I, I don't, I just don't foresee a scenario though where if they are not in the playoffs, that they aren't going to have to deal with this every year. Well, I would just, and and think about it, of, yeah. You know, because like, these, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, think about like this season. I think an, an understated victory Michigan scored this year was that the players didn't throw in the towel after the Notre Dame game. Because that was my first thought. Is like, you lose to Notre Dame, you're looking at this schedule, you know, how many top 15, you know, because Wisconsin and Michigan State were perceived as playoff contenders. And it's like, you know, and then even when they when they uh, barely beat Northwestern, it was kind of like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if this team has that that juice to to make it through all of this. Because if they barely win or if they suffer a second loss, it eliminates them. It's like how many, 
you know, do do all the players decide that they, you know, the season's kind of kind of a wash? I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying anything would happen, but I think the fact that four players sat out a top ten bowl game matchup, and don't forget when they sit out, it's not just like they're they, you know, you lose out on the gifts, you lose out on the trip to Atlanta, you lose out on on the experience. I know that's nothing compared to what the actual value the players bring is, but you know there there are other perks that they just said nope, I don't want to be a part of this. You miss out on practices or chances to get better. Um, so so yeah, I do wonder. I mean, you know, if you're if you're Jim Harbaugh, is that changed through recruiting? Is that changed through uh, you know maybe something you do in the program? Is that is that maybe you get different coaches involved like? What do you do to make the players want to play, or do you just accept it as a reality and just try to I recruit you, as deep as you can? I think you have to accept it as a reality and then hope that they expand the playoff field. I mean, if you're <laughs> Michigan, again, not saying that Michigan isn't capable of getting to that Final Four at some point. I still think they very well. I think they definitely are. Um, I just, I don't know if there's, and again, it's it's part of that is because. You know, I think what with what happened before this game with those four guys sitting out, I think anybody on the roster now is thinking, hey, those guys are really smart, you know, for doing that, which, again, I think they are. I mean, you got to remember, like, that's one of the things you learn when you cover recruiting is so many, like 90% of these guys come from, uh, I'm not going to say nothing, but some they come from very, you know, low income or, you know, they don't come from money. Mm-hmm. And so when that, when the, that money is there for the taking – and you're playing in a game that yeah, don't throw it away. Yeah, you know, it's like that's why it's so understandable. But again, speaking strictly from the head coaching standpoint, it just it does it makes it difficult. And I don't know how you can combat it because you are not going to want to stop a guy from going into the pros because, like I said, and you can't change the way you recruit. You still got to recruit the elite guys. You can't mm-hmm. um, you can't change your you know your uh, outlook or your uh, approach from that angle. You yeah. know, I, I do it. You just have to. You just have to hope that they change the system to increase your chances of getting in the playoffs each year so that you don't have to deal with it, right? I mean, and again, that's not saying that Michigan only chance of expand it. I'm just simply saying if they go from, let's say, four to eight, that increases everybody's chances of getting in the playoffs, thus increasing the chance that you won't have to deal with it because if you get into a playoff game, then you're not going to get guys that sit out. If you do have guys that sit out in that situation, then I think the – onus would be much more on the individual player uh mm-hmm. you know public in the public eye and and reaction wise than it would be you know if, if michigan had been like let's say the eight seed and a couple of those guys had sat out i do think um, the nfl does look at that a little harsher a little honestly. bit yeah. yeah i mean possibly i know you know like it didn't it obviously didn't hurt christian mccaffrey and but and he didn't he wasn't in a playoff game is what i'm saying true, it's true yeah Right, yeah. right. I don't disagree, and, and so it, you know, it would, yeah, it would put the onus more on the player to come through, you know, as and, and to to step up in that regard, you know, regardless of the potential financial situation for them, you know, to, mm-hmm. to so. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're gonna switch gears because I think we're we're on the exact same page. I, I honestly, I will say, I think most fans, like, I think people were upset that uh, you know Karan Higdon was I don't know if he still is playing in the senior bowl but at the time it seemed like he was going to play in the senior bowl and I think people were I think Rashawn Gary is always going to be a, a polarizing topic in in some lights with Michigan fans but 
But, you know, I think fans for the most part get this too. Like, you know, you have their money. Like Karan Higdon, for example. Mel Kuyper called him the number five uh, running back in this class. That's way higher than I think anyone expected him to be a year ago, six months ago, two years ago. It might be higher than he actually is drafted, but but there's clearly some value. What does playing in this game do? He's already had almost 500 carries in his career. Our, right. our NFL team's going to say, oh, finally we see him do this thing differently. No, it's it's not going to... It's not going to be like that, you know. And same with Juwan Bushel Beatty, like he kind of proved what he had. And I don't know what his injury situation was entirely. He never, he never actually said anything. I don't believe he ever said anything yeah. about it. But, um, uh, you know, what does he, what does he have to gain versus what does he have to lose? And I think Michigan's always. This is just the way it is. They're always going to be, in my opinion, more players who sit out Michigan's bowl games because the Jake Butt thing was so concrete and so obvious and these players saw it with their own eyes right you know this guy lose and he had the insurance and i know people talk about that and but the insurance wasn't enough you know it it didn't even it it gave him a good amount of money but it did not make up for the value he lost and it 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 never will especially i mean now it's like you know he tears it again it's like suddenly it's this whole i mean you never know what his career is going to look like but yeah so so a lot of it's just the reality. Anyway, I think we're all on the same page with that. More bad news for Michigan. Uh, you know, we're, we're working through these the this time period here. After, you know, the fans are already kind of upset about the loss. And I, I honestly, I, I kind of, you know, I know I think one of the last podcasts you said you actually feel for the fans now. I'm starting to get there too because it's like it seems like every time there's a big opportunity – it goes the other way, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and the stat that I pulled up after the game is they have now won one of their last nine games where they weren't favored by a touchdown or more, and and which is amazing. They're one and four as a favorite if they're favored by less than a touchdown. One and four, they're zero oh and four as an underdog, and their one win was against uh, Florida, which if they uh, in twenty seventeen, which if they re did the odds for that based on what the teams looked like the rest of the way. It was, right. it was a misread, you know? So like basically every time they have an opportunity in a, in a close game or something they have missed. And so I think that, you know, there's that, you know, um, we can talk about the, the assistant coach departures, I guess in this same vein, you know, where it's like, you know, Harbaugh talks about how he, he wants to keep the staff intact. Well, suddenly he's got to do more searches and he has to do it directly because of, what Ohio State did, and and it's it's two assistants that Michigan fans like. We don't need to do all this talk, but if they could have picked two assistants to depart, I'm guessing very few would have said Madison and Washington, uh, if 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 any, really. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like everything seems to be going the other way. Um, I don't know if I had a question. Oh, okay. So so I guess I mean you know not just expanding it beyond the Peach Bowl. I mean, how how does Michigan combat what is really an an epic rut that they're in? And I don't I don't know how much you can debate, you know, self inflicted versus whatever. Some of it's different, but it's like nothing is going Michigan's way. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on on what could be done 
to change that in this offseason. It, it, it didn't seem like this team needed like a new strength. You know, they don't think it needs to be an overhaul, but certainly the last two months have kind of been illuminating in the sense that it, whatever's going on, you can't guarantee that it's going to be successful. Yeah, like so. No, I mean, it's a it is a little bit of a little bit of a matter of perspective. So I think they just signed. In my opinion, I think they signed their best class under Harbaugh from top to bottom. Hmm. You know, um, again, the jury's out there, but I, especially on the offensive side of the ball, uh, like I just really, really like a lot of the guys that they signed. Uh, and and there's that, but that was like a given. So people don't get excited or happy. Right. About like it. if they had gotten I mean? Nolan Rumler on signing day. Exactly. That's yeah. what I said heading into signing day. It's like if Chris Hinton had drawn out his recruitment, yeah, if like Hinton and Rumler and Charbonnet and all these guys, if they had drawn out their recruitments and waited until, you know, December 18th to commit and they all committed to Michigan, then everybody would be like talking about how awesome it is and how great they're recruiting and all that kind of stuff. But because these guys uh, committed early, and stuck to their commitments. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really mean as much, I guess, when they sign. You know, so in that regard, I think Michigan signed a really, really great class. Um, 15 starters back for next year. Yep. I, uh, with the assistant coaching deal, this, there's only one way you can look at that. It, it, it depends on who they replace these guys with, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, it, to me, it, when an assistant coach leaves, it's always another opportunity. Again, that doesn't mean that they're going to upgrade or that these will, whoever they end up hiring, that will look back and say, you know, that that was definitely the right move. Uh, but there's always a decent chance. And I, I think that Harbaugh, I think that's one thing that he's done really well is hired like a lot. Well, last lot year, last year he had lot. four openings. And I, I, you can debate McElwain if you want, but it seems like they went no, four for four. Good, that was a good hire. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, you go as far as, you know, he, he strength training coach, Ben Herbert's been a huge, was a huge change. Like that was a change. He'd worked with Tolbert forever. Yeah, he did. You know, and that's the other thing too, is like this whole, like he's stubborn and won't change. It's like, that's the most BS inaccurate. If anything, he's shown an extreme inclination to change. I mean, he's cut ties with guys that he's worked with off and on for 15 years. Could you argue it took too long, though, with someone like, say, Drevno, who was replaced with Ed Warner, another good hire by him? You know, uh, Tolbert, you know, it took until an 8-4 and season. I I, I mean, I think this is all, as you said, a matter of perspective. I think the complaint is that it took too long. But you got to remember, I mean, his first two years, though, they they were, you know, after 16, they were a foot from the net from the playoffs, Mm -hmm. you know, and... You know, so to say it'd, it'd have been weird even looking back to say <laughs> Tolbert's got to go. <laughs> well, yeah, to get to can all these guys when they came with literally within a, a few inches of probably going to the playoffs, you know, to, you know, so I, I think he's always shown an inclination for change and, and adaptation. Hmm. You go okay. as far as like Abigail O'Connor uh, as the team nutritionist is another hire. Who's yeah, Fergus player. Connolly was, well, that one was had to be right. made but yeah <laughs> right but either way though it's like she's been a grand slam the players absolutely love her and uh and not just love her because she's like probably like nice or something but like also she's like really good at her job and like the players see a difference in their training and in their 
uh, and how they feel and stuff like that. So I mean, I'm know, sick of writing about her. They love her so much. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. No. So they've. Uh, so he's shown a real. And here's the other thing too. Dan Enos was on board and then left Michigan hanging. You know, it's like people pretend that this that just didn't happen. That it never happened. That they didn't try bringing in some fresh faces. On the, and again, I think what did Enos end up turning into McElwain, right? Isn't that, how that, isn't that what happened? Yes, Enos was replaced he, by McElwain, yeah. Right, but either way, though, there was even the clause in Enos' contract about if he got bumped offensive coordinator, it would raise his pay, et cetera, et cetera, which to me was a clear indication that they were looking to eventually get the offense into his hands. And so, you know, spare me the he won't adapt or he's too stubborn like BS. Now, if you want to get in the minutia about some – a handful of play calls and some big mm-hmm. games, then then so be it. But when it comes to like making like uh, big picture type or you know like staff type changes to like fix things, uh, he's done it as much as anybody has. You know, Don Brown, Jed Fish, guys that he's never worked with or had any experience with, basically hired them off of word of mouth type hires. You know, and and both turned out to be really really great hires. Uh, you know, so. I don't really know where we were going with this, but well, no, uh, but that's a, that's a good segue because I was just kind of wondering. I didn't really have a, a a great concrete point. I wanted to transition to the coaches, but I wasn't sure how. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. I did a breakdown. Uh, if if you want to read it, it's still on our site. But of all the assistant coach departures, and the th- oh, by the, the one that you got. <laughs> that's so funny when you write articles on the site. You graded the quarterbacks too high on on the one article, and then you're all you're a hater just for doing a tracker of the assistant coaches that yeah. have left, as if it was like a negative when what all but one or two of them took significant leaps in their didn't they? I mean, was just besides Drevno, didn't everyone else like made a pretty good move up who left? Uh, yeah, I think it was nine out of the thirteen moved up, and. I can't. I'm not even going to deal with the quarterback grade. That's exact. It was the exact same no, grade I, I as know, another publication I know, I know. that is absolutely objective. Yeah, it's. I, it's I <laughs> we'll talk I about know, that I'm, one I'm another time. La- <laughs> I'm more laughing that like you're you're playing both the role of a enabler and yeah. a hater. You know, within like 24 hours. Well, someone it. someone told me that if I'm if I'm not called both regularly, then I'm not being That's, I'm not being opinionated enough. So I agree. Um, anyway, <laughs> I did the assistant coach departure. And you can still check it out. We didn't do it to like dig up trouble. We did it actually to outline, you know, all these departures, what happened, and also what I thought was really interesting is who Michigan replaced them with. Right. I would say uh, I don't have the exact list in front of me, but I mean, they have a pretty good clip of replacing guys. I mean, I remember when there was a lot of worry that DJ Durkin left after one year. Obviously, this one has that take has aged about as poorly as possible. But even before the Durkin situation happened, they went out and got Don Brown. You know, and, and I still think I think people were okay with Drevno moving on, I, if, I'm, if I speak for the people that reply to my stories and things. But it seemed like they were fine with that. And then they got Ed Warner, and Ed Warner's being hailed. And as you said, Tolbert to Herbert. And, and you know, I think, I think Jed Fish is one guy, and, and maybe Tyrone Wheatley, depending on, on you know, how you viewed things. But I I gotta say I think Jay Harbaugh is doing a lot of really good things, and I got into this with one particular listener to the to the radio show. Uh, I 
I don't know enough about Pep versus Jed to know that anything concrete is because the offense, by all accounts, goes through Harbaugh. And so, so anyway, but what the overall point here was, you know, they lose assistance, but then a lot of times, especially under Harbaugh, they've been able to replace them with with really good candidates. I mean, you know, Don Brown has this tree, and people like to work for Don Brown. I don't think Al Washington, like, was blindly like, oh, Ohio State, where my dad was captain to, to reunite with a former coworker in Ryan Day. Like, I don't think he, like, just didn't even blink and moved on. I really do think he thought about it. And so it's – and and so it's one of those things I, – I think the, the panic about it – I wonder if it's magnified because of how the previous month and a half have gone for Michigan fans. Absolutely. If like at this point they're just like ready to explode. I and and Madison I get because he, you really thought he was going to ride off into you thought this was his right. ride off into the sunset it, yeah. job. But I yeah. just looked it up earlier today. The co-DCs at Ohio State last year made 1.5 and 1.2 million dollars. Yep. And it's and it's one of those and they they're both gone. Uh and it's one of those things where it's like all right, we, Michigan. Michigan has great purse strings. I, I'm I'm confident they liked Madison, and if he needed more money, it would have been more. But they're not going to give him, you know, Don Brown's money and make it a co DC thing. Right. I mean, in my opinion, I don't know if that's the if that's the right move. Anyways, I, I you, you know, but both moves. Like, and here's the thing. Like, yeah, it's like Ohio State did not like punk. Michigan, the, at all. Like, I heard they they dunked on them, teabagged them, the whole thing. Oh, it's, it's so I mean that's the one thing about it. So Al Washington's move was, if you just look at it logically, it's, from Columbus. It's, yeah, yeah, it stinks for Michigan. I get that, but that it's also pretty understandable in the context. Now, 20, hindsight twenty twenty, do you? you know, hire a guy in the first place, knowing that he'd probably jet to Ohio state the first opportunity he got. No, but you also don't anticipate that Ryan day is all of a sudden, you know, who, yeah, who he, I did not see that coming. I did not see Ryan day as head coach. (laughs) Not when you're not, when you make the Al Washington hire to begin with. Correct. So, um, so in that case, you know, it's like some unfortunate circumstances, I think there for Michigan or whatever, but uh, with Madison. Yeah. I mean, they, they had to pay him a lot more money to go. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's punking Michigan in any way, shape, or form. If, if that had been the case, then Michigan would have probably matched it if they felt like they were being punked. It's needing a uh, DC. Like if Don Brown leaves, and maybe you know, I right, yeah, and who knows, yeah. you know. But if you're great, like any of us would leave our current job if somebody offered us double the salary or or and a raising status, yeah, yeah, forty five percent increase in salary or whatever like that you know like any any logical person would uh you know and and so then in that case you really can't blame him for going either so as far as what can michigan do i mean what else can they do you make you finish the recruiting cycle here you make two you make the two best hires you can make to replace these guys and then you go into the offseason Hopefully, more as the players and co- as players and coaches more motivated than ever. I mean, there's really nothing else you can do. Uh, you can't, you know, cry sour grapes or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, that's you, just, you have no choice. So, um, and I think that's what they are going to do. You know, I'm like again, this 
I think the game, I think this Ohio State game is, I think I said at the time, is going to be sort of a watershed moment for Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. Uh, how they respond to that game, I think, is going to dictate how this goes going forward. Uh, well, they're not off to a know. great start, if that's the case. Right, but, <laughs> but again, I mean, a lot, like I said, they just they were still able to secure and sign that great recruiting class. I'm just, again, I'm just speaking facts here. I'm not trying to make people feel better. These mm-hmm. are like actual things that have happened. Uh, more um, propaganda from Steve, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you know me. But I did, you know, before, before the Ohio State, I mean, this was a class that, you know, I thought that for the most part, they hit some really big home runs on. They missed on some guys late, uh, you know, like Kvars Crouch, who did not have a good week at the Army game for whatever reason. I don't know. I think he's still injured. Found out, I didn't know this, actually, uh, that he only played, literally played 10 plays his senior season. Oh, wow. So there's, like, okay. no film on him. Uh, don't think he in that with that in mind, I don't think he would have been an instant impact guy for Michigan like people maybe thought he would have been. Well, it takes he, a long time to get back into things. Right, I, you know, right. Yeah. So – and, uh, you know, and they missed on Harrison, which, uh, you know, we know how that one all played out or whatever. But, you know, it's like they – I still think they signed a really, really, really good class. And then that's highlighted especially you see how these guys – I think for the first time that I can remember too, which I don't know how much this matters, but for the first time I can remember, I feel like every Michigan commit that played – in uh, one of the two all the two big all star games, uh, I thought every one of those guys had a good week. Hmm. Uh, that's not oh like to the point where they were mentioned, you know, yeah. without yeah. having to be asked about, you know, and that um, really probably the quietest one was was probably Dax Hill actually, which is the one that to least worry about of any of them. But for yeah. <laughs> them to get a big week out of Chris Hinton and Mozzie Smith was huge because uh, they could maybe use both of those guys next year right off the bat, you know, especially Mozzie's enrolling early. He's already on campus. You know, that's potentially significant for them, especially I just wrote an article today about their biggest needs in the 2020 class real quick. Uh, not This isn't actually about 2020, but Michigan's 2017 defensive line haul is becoming dangerously close to – 2013 offensive line class hmm. or uh, 2016 receivers yeah no probably yeah pretty similar when you look at uh the guys so they signed eight in 2017 let me pull it up real quick sure well you do yep. yeah oh you got, already got it of course i already got it oh I, you said pull it up i don't got know what some, that means got some, got some good <laughs> wi-fi here um aubrey i'll just go right i'm gonna go down the list in ranking order so aubrey solomon transfer mm-hmm. luigi villain injuries has not made any impact yet we don't know if he will i mean it's just going to depend on how healthy he is and etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. james hudson position switch transfer uh duran irving bay transfer <laughs> Corey malone hatcher was didn't make an impact and in my opinion was never going to make an impact to begin with uh no longer with the program donovan jeter no impact yet. He's one guy that might still have a say. Yeah, they, they could really use him Absolutely. stepping up. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's actually kind of an important player for them this offseason. Maybe one of their most important players, to be honest with you. Uh, Phil Paya, uh, position switch, but has not made any impact on the offensive line. And then there's Quiddy Pay, who really, by and large, the only hit yeah. so far. And what was his uh, ranking? Just curiosity. He was the, well, he was the lowest ranked of the eight, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, 487th overall in the country. Yeah. 
which not not that bad. I mean, he was like no. eighty. He was pretty much an eighty-seven rating, which is a good, it's a solid rating. I think we gave him a bump late uh, after his, they watched some of his senior film, but you know, and then and Solomon even this year was like in and out, and you know when he played, he did well, but he didn't really play that much. You know, so you could argue that really only Quiddy Pay has really made any tangible impact for Michigan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and that's that is not good at all you know and yeah. so uh so to, to have your to have two guys like Hinton and and, and Mozzie Smith have a really big week at uh well I think Mozzie was at Under Armour and, and Chris was at uh it's not the Army Bowl anymore All-American Bowl it, yeah I just call it the Army Bowl um <laughs> you know to have a big week there I think is significant you know so again that's really all Michigan can do though going back to the big picture is yeah yeah. Hire some hire two new coaches, which I anticipate that uh, fans will be excited about the hires that they make. Uh, I th- just no real insight until they're necessarily, but just the names that we've been reporting and that I know about, uh, I think are f- names that the fans will be happy about, at least ones who do minimal research. And then, uh, you know, and then, yeah, just you, you got to kind of come back motivated. You, you know, the offense needs work, and, we've, and that's the big picture thing that everyone, if we, had, if we had opened it up to questions, we probably got about 50 of the same question. Uh, but they return almost everybody next year, and it's hard not to imagine whatever they do scheme-wise, but it's just hard not to imagine that the offense isn't going to be pretty darn good next year, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even in big games. You know, I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just the way I look at it, but – and and I think I think that's worthy of a discussion maybe next week. You know, right. talking about what do you do differently? Because I, I wrote the story after the Peach Bowl. I'm sure the fans ripped it that one up too. Who knows? But you know, talking about it can be elite. There's a lot of signs. Uh, it needs refitting. But let's let's table that. And I also think you kind of mentioned or you you reminded me. I think Michigan has really stepped up their scouting of recruits. Yep. I think their yeah. recruiting is, you know, they were always good at recruiting, but I think their talent identification has increased. That might be worth exploring in more depth. But for now, I think we should switch because uh, they're, they're absolutely worth discussing to Michigan basketball. I know there's some fans who, uh, I'll, I'll let them know. Fast forward to the 47 minute or 45 minute mark. But uh, basketball, one of two remaining undefeated teams, Michigan and Virginia. They're 15 and 0. By the time you listen to this, they might be 16-0. They might be 15-1, and uh, depending on how things go to, at Purdue or Illinois. Sorry, a, But they're they're number two in the country, absolutely looking like a one seed so far. You know, we, we've talked about them blowing out Villanova and talked about them blowing out North Carolina, talked about them blowing out Purdue. And so late, since then, it hasn't been quite as dominant. But I think this team has really, really struck something. And I was... I was um, Tuned into this, I think John Beeline mentioned after they just beat Indiana this weekend by double digits, fourth double digit win over ranked team. How low maintenance this team is! Like he never has to tell the team to like work harder, or show up on time, or make sure their their grades are good. You know, go to class. You know, not to not to sound like James Franklin with his whole great versus elite com- comments uh, after the Ohio State loss, but you know, I think. I think they have this culture put in place this of this work ethic, uh, the grittiness. I just wrote, you know, almost two years to the day they go back to Champaign. 
Uh, they look as blue collar as they've ever looked. You know, they don't. No one, no, Maverick Morgan would not be calling them white collar uh, this year. So, you know, it's just one of those things. I think they've really hit this. Uh, what's what's the word? Like synchronicity, synergy, a little bit where it's just it it just all feeds off each other. And then on the court, you've got five. Well, you can count Isaiah Livers in there. Six starter caliber players who are who have things that you feel real you know you would say really really good things about them and any negatives they have to their game are less negative than they were before the season so Isaiah Livers embracing contact well he's he's done that you know Jordan Poole uh off ball production and then also consistency on defense he's done that Iggy Brzezakis I don't have a negative to say about him right now I can't think of one Charles Matthews the free throw shooting three-point shooting he's improved quite a bit in both Xavier Simpson I know the, the the knock on shooting is still fair, but you know he's finding different ways to score. That he's seven for ten on the hook shot. I mean that's like what what a center does, you know. And he's like five foot. Well, I think he's listed as six one, so we'll call him six one. But I will note that I am calling him six one, not believing he's six one. Anyway, you know all these players are doing these things well. It's like everyone's improving. I don't know, man. It's I think they've I think they've hit this. You know, like that when all the puzzle pieces fit perfectly, uh, that's what they're in right now. So I want to get your thoughts on that. But also, I think the question we did in our podcast a lot last year was like the recalibrating expectations. I think entering the season, everything was ahead of them. They were like a roughly top 20 team. But what do you, how does, how does this start change the way you look at the rest of the season? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you just, uh, you know, I just remember, I mean, even the 13 team, uh, and I think you could start to maybe see it a little bit last year. And I think this is probably mostly because they've just become so much better on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like it used to be with Michigan where they play, let's say, playing a good team. They'd come out, uh, they'd take a nice lead, but then they'd go these like long stretches of games where they were just totally ineffective on both sides of the floor. And it would, they would, and it could be against a good team or a bad team, really. Uh, right now, I, I, it just feels like they're in a spot where you. And again, I mean, they're they're what was it twenty nine and one now or yeah twenty nine of the last thirty games. Um, so, but but you even then though, even when like other team like well, let's say Indiana, probably a good example here, where like you know they had that they had that big lead over Indiana, and then Indiana was kind of creeping. They were hanging around ish. Yeah, and like it used, I used to feel like when you'd watch Michigan, is like a lot of times that they would give up that, you know, that that big that cushion that they had, and then mm. then it would be then the last five minutes or so would always be a game. Now it's like you just you feel like they're gonna weather those storms uh, with ease, and 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 that's just so huge because you you're not always gonna be clicking offensively, uh, but even in that even within that. They have so many. It's just they've they've become so much more diverse in how they can attack, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, so many guys that can go off the dribble and 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 kick, you know, penetrate, kick, uh, drive. I mean, it's just they. It, it really, I think we've said this before, but it, it just keeps playing out as there's that positionless deal. Uh, they just have so much of that right now, and and the uh, emergence of livers, uh, really kind of big in that one. You get a guy, you add a guy like Johns to the mix all of a sudden, and it's like, man, like the ceiling for this team just keeps growing if he even plays 
anything uh, like what he did against Indiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that was actually one of the bigger takeaways for me was that. And I think, you know, and that's the thing. The other thing, I feel like we knew it was coming. It was going to happen. It just always Oh, we've talked about under- it. Oh, we absolutely yeah. have talked it's about been it. It's on yeah. the precipice of happening. And, like, then it, and then you just, you see it happen. It's, it's and, clockwork, uh, and it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's, and that's one thing, too, you know, where the other big thing for me, 15 and 0, usually Beeline's teams are better. They get, they tangibly get better as the season goes on. And it's like, what does that mean for this year's team? Hmm. You know, it's like, is that, possible not saying that it's not possible because there are always going to be ways that these teams can improve and right. get better but i mean you know I, I know you may they may have struggled against some lower lower tier competition i mean you go from the north basically from northwestern to binghamton where i you know i was probably safe to say that's their worst stretch of basketball of the year mm-hmm. uh, but then they come out they beat penn state the penn state's first loss by more than 12 points in over a full calendar year uh and then they indiana had won eight straight. Their only losses were at Arkansas, at Duke. You know, Indiana came in playing good basketball. I know they weren't at full strength, but neither is Michigan with livers out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they cruise. Uh, they were up the entire game. I don't think the game was ever like I said. There were the times where they were kind of hanging around. Yeah, Indiana uh, got Michigan, within seven, but then Michigan responded with like a five, five or four exactly. nothing run. You know, and that's what they seem to be. And that's they they seem to have answers. And that's something that I don't think that they've. And again, I think you were starting to see that last year a little bit, but that's something that it's not always been the case with the Michigan team because they didn't have, they couldn't, they, I don't think they were usually capable of multiple stops on the defensive end. You know, mm-hmm. they had to rely on outscoring teams in the second half to win. And now they kind of are have the potential or have the, uh, the ability to click on both ends of the floor at any given moment, you know? And yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. That's, I, I did a I did the piece, you know, ESPN has their little BPI metric and predicting the next ten games. Uh, they're predicted to go eight and two with their losses at Wisconsin at Indiana. Indiana yep. You know twenty three and two. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I think anybody again, and, and that that being said, I think Wisconsin's very beatable. They did. The, that, they looked beatable the other week or the other day. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I also still think that you know that I do think that Indiana is going to be a really tough game in Bloomington. And uh, but again, Michigan's already proven they can go out there and beat those guys. You mm-hmm. know. And uh, so, and the rest of those games, you know, it's not that bad of a stretch for them. Besides that, because the the bulk, you know, their last they got the last what six games they got Maryland, who I think solid. Yeah, I think Maryland's At, really good. Right at Minnesota, so they play Maryland and Michigan State twice each in the final six uh, within, games within the yeah. last six conference games, and then they also play Nebraska. They get it; they don't have to go to Nebraska this year, but they uh, do play Nebraska, who I also think is pretty solid. So you know the their conference slate is definitely more uh, back on the back. You know the tougher games appear to be on the back end. So yeah, so... I don't know. I mean, what can you say, Zach? I mean, if, if Simpson, if Simpson can develop any kind of consistent outside shot, which again, he needs to keep shooting it. Don't stop shooting it. You're winning games while, while he's struggling from the field, just let him keep shooting it. Cause I'm telling you right now, if he figures it out from the outside, I don't know how you stop them offensively. Like I really don't. Uh, where do you go? What do you do? Yeah. You hope they have an you off know? night. Cause they, they don't. Yeah. Say, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, 
that's what you and because to me that's the one the one missing thing is him from the perimeter and I do I do think that I I think that he's capable of figuring it out I mean his high school film showed it as a guy who can score you know and and he's just he's got everything else uh you know and I I think he uh if he can figure that out I just I don't even know I don't know what you do I I it's just they're they have their they finally have a solid big man on both sides of the floor. I think Wagner was pretty inconsistent defensively, but Teske's shown capabilities on both ends of the floor, obviously defensively, but offensively too. He's a guy that can give you 12 or 14 on a good night, you know, and Livers has emerged. Poole's taken that next step that we thought he would. Brezdakis is kind of the steadying force. Which is crazy, like. you know. <laughs> yeah, but he is, though. He's that guy. I think, wasn't he the guy? You said that 5-0 run at Indiana gets to within seven. Wasn't he the one that answered again? He's done that all year. Back? Yeah, he did yeah, that against Northwestern. He did it against yeah. North Carolina. He so. he is, and and I'm taking credit for that prediction, but he is obviously on a different level as most Michigan freshmen. Uh, so so real quick, one thing, because I'm trying to, you know, when we do this and we don't quite have the opportunity to take questions, I try to think like what people would ask. I think one question would be, since Michigan's teams do get better, what? How much better can this team reasonably expect to be? Because I, frankly, I don't think, I think they're a lot closer to their ceiling than most Michigan teams because that defense is already there. And you've seen the offensive chemistry. I thought it was really on display Sunday. So maybe in the next two weeks, we'll, I think we might see something, uh, you know, I think where they can get better depth. I think outside shooting, I think, I how much of these high clips like I don't think Jordan Poole is going to hit fifty percent of his threes this year, you know. So who else steps in and and contributes? I I also don't think Charles Matthews will hit thirty nine percent of his. But you know, as far as I think this team's very close because you can just see the chemistry, you know, against Indiana. It's like Iggy Brzezdakis had had a had a rough first half. So what happens? Jordan Poole and Charles Matthews basically just take turns with these highlight plays, uh, you know, more or less schooling. Justin, I believe Justin Smith and Romeo Langford were the, were the two guarding them, and those are good players. And Indiana was, a, I don't think people realize, Indiana was a top 25 defense. And Michigan put up, uh, I think, 1.25 points per possession. And then it's like you look at the defense, and it's like there is no defense in the country. I, I pointed this out in a story today. Michigan is the top 10 in two-point field goal percentage allowed, three-point attempt rate allowed, and free throw rate allowed. So basically, they won't let you, they'll run you off the three-point line, and they'll stop you from two, and they'll do it without fouling. And so these teams, they just, they don't have anything to do. So I think they're actually, as far as the question, how much better, I don't, I don't think it's like most teams. I think the other past teams, part of why they got better was one, players were not, complete products and I think you'll see some of that with some of these players but also there was a chemistry and a and a finding your stride in a in a work ethic and like identity standpoint I think this team's a lot closer in those last two areas but at the same time you know what does your future look like if you already look like one of the best teams and John Beeline's program is so built on fundamentals never stopping you know working uh, technically, just trying to become this fluid machine. What if you're already kind of fluid machine? You know, like because he's not going to stop coaching. He's not going to stop finding ways to get better. So yeah, I think you do look at this season. I mean, 
uh, someone asked, uh, you know, what what should the expectation be the rest of the way? And I, th- I basically the answer I came up with is they should deliver a banner. You know, they're that yeah, good that yeah. you can expect that now versus it being a gravy sort of situation. You look yep. at the Big Ten, tough Big Ten. But Michigan, I mean, you look at every team and you see a way Michigan can win. Same with the Big Ten tournament. And then, you know, if, they, if they're a one seed or a two seed heading into, heading into the NCAA tournament, you can absolutely expect them. I mean, Michigan of all teams, they have the best NCAA tournament record since 2013. By, in, in, amazingly, without winning a title. I think, I think Villanova might have more wins. But anyway, uh, they're, they're as good as anybody in the country at the NCAA tournament. So then it's like, I mean, you know, I, I would say to Michigan fans, you know, understand that things happen and good teams lose all the time in college basketball. But also, this looks like a team you can dream big about. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think it's it's this what's going to happen is I think they are going to get better, but they're also probably going to, like, lose a few games too, right? I mean, there's no way. I don't think they're running the table. I mean, Nobody goes undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's what I mean. And uh, so I, I don't, I, but it is, that's a, it's a, it's such a hard question to answer when they're undefeated and when they've really, I mean, if we're being honest, have they not really been outside of the game at North Northwestern? Have they really been tested against a good team? They I have mean, made that, this start looking, I'm actually going to write about uh, if, if they beat Illinois, I have I have some quotes ready. They have made this look very very easy for how hard it is. I mean, there, there's only two teams undefeated. They have made it look like it's really easy to go undefeated, right? <laughs> and that's and that because that's kind of the thing is like you could argue outside of Michigan State, obviously, but you could argue probably that I don't know North Carolina is better than anybody else they'll face. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they dominated North Carolina. I mean, that was to me. I, looking now, because I think Villanova's lost, I think four games now. Um, yeah, that North Carolina win just continues to look more and more impressive. Uh, you know, as as time goes on, and uh, so yeah, I mean, to quantify how much they can improve is impossible. I just I think that it's well within the realm of possibility that they'll get better. Uh, I think I don't know if we're being nitpicky, right? Maybe some more consistency in half court sets offensively possibly. Mm -hmm. And Um, I think that has gotten better since November and December. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe, and I don't know, uh, we'll see if they'll have the opportunity, but also, you know, probably maybe get it to Julius a little bit more playing time. They are expand. I know they tried, they tried hard to get him in there (laughs) the other night. Right. I mean, they are ninth worst in the country in bench minutes which is percentage sure. of minutes going to your bench, which is I think this team is fine in that regard because they don't play a style. Like, they're not dependent on the bench. Like Mo Wagner last year, you did need a backup center who was really good. I think you still need a backup center who's really good, but it, Mo Vag- Teske's not going to get into foul trouble nearly as much as Mo Wagner did. No. You know, Although and, you expect now that teams are going to attack Teske. I mean, they've kind of been trying to already, yeah. but I suspect – that teams are going to take a similar approach that they did to Wagner. You remember teams would attack Wagner mm-hmm. right away last year. Yeah, do more block charge trouble. game or plays. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so you know that. And that's why, like you said, John's. I think the emergence of Livers, and it, what they look like, they're going to maybe can get from John's. You know, that's why that's so important. You know, especially with Livers, like they can 
go small if they want to. I don't know. I just, um, so yeah, there's, there's flaws. They'll get better. Uh, but again, I mean, it's just, it's asking way too much to, you know, say that they probably aren't going to stumble at some point here, mm-hmm. but like you said, yeah, if the answer is what's the goal, uh, it should be to win the Big Ten in the regular season and in the tournament right now. I mean, there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I mean, that's what it should should without hesitation. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, could yeah. be interesting one. Remember, the Big Ten looks strong though too. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I mean, that's why I say Nebraska's. I said Nebraska's good. They're one and three already. You know, and it's like, but I still think Nebraska's a pretty good basketball team. Like, well, and Northwestern took them down to the wire. They p- people still think they're a tournament caliber team. They're one and four. And yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and, and, and that's, yeah. that's where I, I would say to fans, like, don't dream about 30 wins in the regular season or anything. Cause, right. cause I still don't, I, I can't sit here and say, oh, there's no way Michigan's going to lose at Illinois tonight. I hope for the, for given how this discussion has gone, I hope that they win. So our Friday listeners aren't like these idiots, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, you can't sit here and say there's no way they'll lose at Illinois. Ohio State lost at Rutgers on Wednesday night. So, you know, and and I've seen I've seen Michigan teams lose some really really bad road games, and yep. and you know Iowa looks like a tricky. I mean, it's always a tricky road game. I think Michigan has one win there under Beeline. If it's not one, it's two, and one was in overtime. So, yeah, lots long way to go. But I think you do look at this team as really close to its finished product and you look at it like one of the best teams in the country and it's maybe this is discussion for another time but i think one thing that's really neat is i think if you asked like 100 people family feud style who's michigan's best player i don't think there would be this glowing consensus i think there would be i think it would be divided uh and i think you barely talked about matthews yeah i mean that's how that's how good that's how well-rounded and how good that they have been, you know, we barely talk about Charles Matthews. So I think some would say when you consider how awesome he is on the defensive side of the ball, could he easily be considered Michigan's best player? Well, his offense's so, numbers are really good too. You know, right, so anyway, I'm saying, though, yeah. like, I'm saying like that they, you know, offense, I think is when people, you ask somebody who the team's best player is, they never, a lot of people don't even think about the defensive side of the mm-hmm. ball, you know? And well, so, and that's where like Xavier Simpson, what he's exactly. doing as a distributor thing. Yeah. So maybe that's a discussion for next week talking like, more about the about the players, but the team is team is rolling as much as uh, well. I I would say to Michigan fans, if nothing else, enjoy this because they have not been a top. You know, there's 2013, and then that was about it when they've rolled in a regular season like this in the last 25 years. Maybe 96, 97. They were, although you know that's 22 years ago now. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's they're usually a how do you say it like a late blooming yeah you know like they build momentum as the season goes on type deal not a come out of the go to the gates firing i mean yeah you talked about what this was some bad road losses like i always think of the game at south carolina a couple years ago like Mm -hmm. smu a couple years ago yeah Yeah. yep they're usually good for a couple duds you know early in the year as they kind of figure out the kinks but nah (laughs) yeah really been the case this year (laughs) yeah well the opposite after saying that i I imagine (laughs) you know if they they go out and lose at illinois tonight but anyway you know even if they do though what they they're currently the best start in school history is 16 and 0 they're 15 and 0 so they're they're this is 
this is uncharted waters was kind of the point I was talking about. So, you know, if you're if you've been waiting for this, obviously, you know, with Beeline, you've had you've had a lot of success, but so far, this team looks like it has the makings for to be a little different. But anyway, that's going to do it for this podcast. Next week, I'm sure there will be uh, you know, football, either new coaches or other discussion. I don't think there'll that discussion co- there'll be new coaches. Yeah. Me. Yeah, and and maybe we'll get into a little bit more recruiting. Uh, we can talk about the the offensive scheme with a little bit more because uh, like we don't want to talk about that for like two minutes. You know, that's like a you know really sit it down, parse it out thing. And then obviously basketball, they'll have played Illinois Northwestern by then, and they'll be prepping for a big week at Wisconsin. So for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24/7 podcast. Check out our stories, themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com/slash Michigan. I uh, hope you had fun. Hope you learned something, and we'll see you next week.